0: Good morning, church. You guys doing all right? You guys look all right? (laughs) Smell all right? For those of you that don't know me, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at church, and I wanted to welcome you all, whether you're here or you're visiting online, whether you're part of the church or you're just visiting the church, I want to say that we love you a lot, and we are for you, and we are so glad that you're part of this body of believers. Once again, whether you're here or you're at home, welcome all to Wheaton Bible Church. Now, just in case there's people here or online that are visiting for the first time, I want to give you a quick intro of who we are as a church. That that way we all know who we are. We are one church in two locations. We have the West Chicago campus and we have the Tri-Village campus, which is led by Pastor Eric Solomon. We are a multi-language church multi-worship experience church because we have a tradition and a contemporary and Spanish. And we are also a multi-ethnic church. Means that we rejoice with the different colors and flavors of the kingdom of God. Amen? And one of the reasons why we exist is because we want to know God, grow together, and reach the world. That last part is one of what we want to talk about today. Why is it that the church is called to reach the world? Actually, theologians, when to talk about this topic, they call the church the mission of God. And for that, we're going to be looking into a section of a Scripture that is very well known. Um, I would say that it's just as famous as John 3, 16, that everyone knows about. This is Matthew chapter twenty-eight verses sixteen through twenty. So I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word, um, Matthew chapter twenty-eight verses sixteen through twenty. If you have your Bible, please go over there. If if you don't, don't worry. We're going to put the verses on the screen. If you are here with me, could you please say, "I'm here." I'm here. The word of the Lord says this. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Lord, I pray that you speak to us, that you reveal your word to us, that by the power and the ministry and the person of the Holy Spirit, we may be able not just to understand what the text says, but that we may be able to apply it in such a way that we fulfill the Great Commission. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus and the churches. You may be seated. All right, so the question I'm trying to answer today is why is the church called the mission of God? And I believe that in order for us to answer that question, we need these three subtitles or these three points. We're gonna talk about the God of the mission, the people of the mission, and the assurance of the mission the god the people and the assurance of the mission let's go with the first point the god of the mission so if you have been a christian for a while or if you have been around christians for a while most likely you already know that to be that churches and christians always always talk about missions you know if you have been a christian for more than a week you probably have heard that Christians talk about this thing called the Great Commission. Just by show of hands, those of you that are here, and show of hands, those of you that are at home, could you please raise your hand and tell me if you have ever heard something about the mission mission field. All right, so I would say almost everybody here. and basically, uh, the reason why this is so popular is because we know deep down inside, if you're a believer, we know and we have heard that to be a believer means that you are a sent person, meaning that we gather as believers, but then we are sent into the world to proclaim with our mouths and to demonstrate with our actions who God is, what God did for us in Jesus Christ. And to contribute to what God is already doing and will do in this creation. We are sent people. This is the reason why at the end of all of our services, most of our services, one of the last things you hear is you are sent. Listen, we're not saying that simply because we're cool. We are cool. (laughs) The reason why we say it is because that's part of the reason why we exist here. This part of the reason why we say it is because as a church, we are sent into the world. And we want to make sure that by the time you leave this place, everyone remembers that that's part of the reason why we exist. I think that the problem, though, is not that we don't know or we didn't know what that is. I think that there's a misconception, though. I think that sometimes when we talk about the church of God, the church being the mission of God it's because we think that missions is something the church does. In other words, it's kind of a commandment that we ought to obey. But I want to argue that that's not why we talk about missions and why is it that the Great Commission is needed. I would like to invite you to consider that to be in mission is not just something we do, but it's something we are as a church. In other words, that to be a Christian is part of your identity to be in mission, not just something you do. The reason why I think that this is, this is so important is because if you don't see it as part of your identity, if you are a believer, then it is so easy for you to opt out of it. Oh, I like it, but no thanks, pass. If you don't see it as part of your identity as being a Christian, It is so easy for some of us to reduce missions to an activity, kind of when we go to a different place, you know, a different part of the world, and we serve the community, and we love the community, and we evangelize. But then once we come back over here, if you have ever participated in any of that, you say, done, checkmark. But that's in my opinion, what the Bible says about why the church is the mission of God. I don't think this is an option for Christians. And I want to give you an argument, in my opinion, a biblical argument why I'm saying that to be missional is part of our identity, not just something we do. And this is what I mean by this. We become like the things we worship. And the God we worship is a missional God. And if we worship this missional God then by nature, we are missional people. If God is in the business of making himself known, if the ultimate desire of God is to make himself known, when we worship him, we automatically become like him. And therefore, we want to make him known. There's no way around it, people. This is not an option. God wants to be known. Not because he needs anything from us. Not because he's egocentric. But because he is everything we need. Not because he needs anything of us or because he's egocentric. But because there's no one like him. The God we worship is a God that is always in mission because he wants to be known. And if we worship him, we want people to know him. Now, I'm going to give a quick uh, kind of Old Testament, New Testament survey. It's nothing like a survey, but I'm going to try really quick. So we have Genesis chapter 1, right? God creates everything super beautiful and amazing, perfect, peace, joy, shalom. That would be a word that we could use, peace. And this is a description that everything flourishes and everything is beautiful and perfect. And Psalm 19 and Romans 1 says that God shows himself or reveals himself through through the things that he has created. In other words, when you look around, when you get out of this place, when you get out of your house, you look around and everything in creation points to him. Everything that is beautiful and perfect points to him. The interesting interesting thing, though, is that God not only wants us to know him through created things, but through created people. So he creates Adam and Eve. And he reveals himself to them at a personal level. That's why Adam and Eve are completely different to the rest of creation, including animals. He reveals himself to them... Once again, not because he needs them, not because he's egocentric, but because he knows that uh, that creatures, human beings, need who he is. And the reason why he creates human beings is so we can know him and enjoy him forever. That's one of the Christian confessions if you have been in the church for a while. One of the Christians' confessions says, what is the chief end of men? To know God and to enjoy Him forever. Not just to get things from God, but to know God and to enjoy Him forever. Jonathan Edwards then would argue that the reason why God created human beings is because within the Trinity, within the Godhead, there was so much love, so much unity, so much perfection, so much joy, so much everything that they wanted to share who they were, with others. That's Jonathan Edwards using his imagination. Once again, within the Trinity, within the Godhead, there was so much perfection, so much communion, so much peace and joy and abundance and love and generosity that they wanted to share it with other people. So Adam and Eve come into the picture and God tells them this in Genesis chapter one, verse 28. Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. Now you have to keep in mind the context. God would want these people to multiply and be fruitful and increase and fill the earth not just because, but because he wants to be known through them in entire creation. And then from Adam and Eve, he moves to Abraham. And before uh We read this text, Uh, let let me just share this with you. Some people believe that the text which is about to read is the Great Commission in the Old Testament. And this is the call God makes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses one through uh, three. The Lord has said to Abraham, Abraham, go from your country, notice the word go, your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. Now, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Don't miss the point. God is not interested in just people knowing that he blesses people. God's plan was to use Abraham and the descendants of Abraham To show people the God of those blessings. For people to know that there's a personal God, that with him, there's blessings. So he goes from Adam and Eve, and then he moves to Abraham, and now he moves into the Israelites. And this is Exodus chapter 29, verses 45 to 46. And it says, then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God they will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them and I am the Lord their God. Notice the intimacy that God wants to have with the Israelites. To dwell with them. Not a God that is far away, but a God that is present and active. Not a guy that is just giving commands from heaven, but a God that is in the midst of his people. Now the context of that text is just as important because here God God wants two things. Number one, he wants the Israelites to know that he's a personal God. That's part of the reason why he uses the word Lord, which is the word Yahweh, which is the most personal name God has. It's also a covenant name, meaning that when he commits to a group of people, he never walks away. It's like a marriage thing. But not only he wants the Israelites to know that he, God is committed to them at a personal level. Check this out. But he wants the Israelites community, the people that were surrounding them, to know that they had a God that they needed. God's plan was to live in, uh, within God's people, not only for their sake, but for the sake of the people that surrounding them. God is in the business of making himself known. He wants people to know him at a personal level. He wants to be known, he wants to be experienced, and he wants to be enjoyed. So he goes from Adam and Eve, and he moves to Abraham, and then he moves to Israel. By the time we get to the New Testament, of course, we got to talk about Jesus. And in John chapter chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, which was Jesus. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And it it shows you something else about this God that is always in mission. He wants to be so and so known by his people that he gets into this people's world. Similar to what we did with Israel. But now, he adds to it because he becomes like one of us. So people would know him so people would see him, and so people would even enjoy his presence and touch him. God is not a God that loves from the distance, God is a God that is always in the business of making himself known. First with Adam and Eve, then with Abraham, then with the Israelites, and then with Jesus, and lastly, through his spirit and his church. So for this one, I gotta give you an explanation really quick. The text we're going to read comes from uh, uh, 2 uh, Corinthians, yeah, no, 1 Corinthians, and if you were here last week, I talked a little bit about this church, and I told you that this is a very uh, unique church, because it's a church that has all kinds of gifts and abilities and spiritual gifts. They had so and so much of everything that was good that they, were, that they started to brag about it. You know, it's almost a church that, you know, they they have these experiences and they love the things that they have, that they think that what matters is the gifts they have to the point that they forgot that what mattered was love. And if you were here last week, I said that the reason why God gives spiritual gifts is for the sake of people. These people forgot that. And these people thought that because of their gifts and talents and abilities, if anybody would come into church, their job was to impress them with everything they had. And Paul says, the writer of that letter, no, 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 church. That's not what the church is all about. People are not going to be impressed because of the things you do. People will be impressed when you worship God, when you practice communion that talks about God, when you love one another the way God loved you, when you do church things, and when you preach the gospel and preach and teach the Bible clearly. And if you do that, Paul says, the spirit will move in your midst. Check this out. And even the non-Christians present will see something different about you. They will get to experience the God that wants to be known. All of that is paraphrased. But look at the summary of everything that I just told you that would have been a better way to just do it quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 25. As the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, this is talking about non-Christians, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. This is the first attraction of church in the New Testament. It is not an attraction to church that has to do with the tools we have today or the programs we have today and the ministries we have today, and there's nothing with any of that. But what Paul is arguing that the way people would know God is when we do what we're supposed to do. And when we do what we're supposed to do, the spirit is gonna move, and people will know, even if they don't have a relationship with God, that God was really among you. That's a crazy statement. People, God wants to be known when the church do, or when the church does what we're supposed to do. Actually, later on, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, before that, that God later on, God uses the church to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Let me explain it really quick. It means that if you are a believer, You smell like Jesus out there. That if you are a Christian, when you get out of here you ought to smell like Jesus. That you ought to smell like Jesus by the way you talk. That you ought to smell like Jesus by the things you do. That that you ought to smell like Jesus by the way you work. That you ought to smell like Jesus by the way you love one another. That you ought to smell like Jesus by the way you talk to anybody. any place, in any location. Aroma of Christ in the world. There's no such a thing as a stinky Christians. I just made that up. <laughs> An aroma of God because he wants to be known. First Adam and Eve, then Abraham, then the Israelites, then Jesus, then the Holy Spirit, and now us. God has always been in the business of making himself known so people would know him and enjoy him forever. The reason why the church is the mission of God is because God is a God of mission. The church is missional because we are riding the wave of what God is already doing. The church is missional because God wants to be known. And if we love God and worship God, we want him to be known. Missions is not something we do. Missions is something we are. You don't have an option. I don't have an option. If we are believers. Look at how Christopher Wright puts it. Our mission means our committed participation as God's people, at God's invitation and command, in God's own mission within the history of God's world for the redemption of God's creation. We get to ride the wave of what God is already doing. We are missional because God is the God of missions. Point number one. Point number two. Let's talk about us because if that is true then what's our commitment as the people of the mission If this is true what's our responsibility and verse 19 the most out of all these verses is the is the well known one because he says therefore go Can you say go? go That was depressing Go That's good Do you know what that means Thank you It means go. On the other hand, I want to show you uh, something that I learned this week. I never saw it before. I I really don't know why. But when I was reading this text, of course, my mind is going back to Abraham. You remember the Great Commission in the Old Testament? God tells Abraham to go, leave his house, leave everything, just go. And for Abraham, that meant to leave his comfort zone. It meant to be willing to sacrifice security, and he meant to trust God as he's going out. That's what he meant for Abraham. I want to argue that that's the same thing that Jesus is calling us to do today with the Great Commission. When Jesus calls us to go out and make disciples of all the nations and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, when he's calling us to do that, he's calling us to do exactly the same thing that he called Abraham years and years and years before that. Why do I say that? Because the word go has three meanings. Three different meanings. The first meaning of the word go in the original, it literally means to get out, to travel, to go on a journey. And and, and if that is true, then the implication for us today, as New Testament Christians, listen up, is not to expect for people to come to you. It's for you to go to people. Nothing wrong if they come to you, nothing wrong if people is coming to you to ask questions, but that is the exception. The norm for the church is for us to get out, to go. Just as much God took the initiative to show himself first, the Christian has to have the the initiative to go out first, to make him known by word and by deed to make him known by the things we say and the things we do. Now that's the part that everyone knew about. You, you, we shouldn't expect for people to come to us. Even if you believe in the sovereignty of God. You are know, that's cheap when you use that as an excuse. Oh God is sovereign, I'm just gonna wait. That's not how it goes. <laughs> we go. The second definition of the word go though is when it gets complicated, people, because the root of the word "go" in the original means to die. Ooh, yeah, go, but will it be willing to sacrifice. Be willing to deny yourself. Be willing to deny your to die to your preferences. Be willing to disadvantage yourself for the sake of somebody else. Be willing to die to yourself and sacrifice because everything that is beautiful requires some sort of sacrifice. Everything that is beautiful requires some sort of sacrifice. You know that that is true. You know that a beautiful baby requires that a mother is willing to sacrifice first. You know that a beautiful piece of art requires that the artist is willing to sacrifice first. You know that any good and healthy relationship, beautiful relationship requires that people are willing to sacrifice something. That's the only way friendship works. And a beautiful marriage requires that the spouse learn how to die to themselves. (laughs) <laughs> there is nothing that is more countercultural than that definition of marriage. Because the, the, the modern culture, the definition of marriage, I want someone that completes me. I want someone that fills my gaps and fulfills my dreams and makes me feel loved and appreciated. Nothing wrong with any of that except one thing. That's not biblical! The definition of marriage is I commit to a lady, a lady commits to me, and we are willing to sacrifice for one another. I think that when Matthew is calling us to this, he wants to make sure that we understand that to go means to go and to die. This is part of the reason why as Christians, we have to be willing to sacrifice time, preferences, comfort, we should be willing to invite all the messiness of other people into your life. You know, I was thinking about this this morning, and this is, I hope it's from the Spirit, because it was not in the notes in the first service. But I was thinking about, you know how much I enjoy living in the suburbs? Like, I really do. I love it. I've, you know, it's n- less traffic, you know, and there's bigger lands. And, but you know that the suburbs really hurt, hurt us sometimes? Because everything in the suburbs, for the most part, is big. And our yards are big. And our fences are big. And there's areas in the suburbs in which there are no sidewalks. You know why? So we don't have to interact with people. So I do my business, you do your business, and from far away we go... That is not the Great Commission. When I lived in Chicago for years, all I had to do was open the door at 20 million people in front of me. (laughs) Yeah, but the Great Commission says, go. Die to yourself, die to your preferences, die to the things that make your life simply comfortable. And that doesn't mean that you gotta live a miserable life, but it means that that's what it means to be a Christian. You know, it's so interesting because one of the first things, Jesus, one of the last things Jesus said before he ascended to heaven in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 was this. But you will receive the power by the Holy Spirit when he comes to you and you will be my witness. And, and most people would argue the same thing. The word witness means to testify by proclaiming the gospel, but it also means to martyr, to be willing to die for your beliefs. The third definition of the word go Is to behave or to live. The root of the word go means to behave or to live. And I love this one. Because it tells you go, be willing to sacrifice, but lastly, live in such a way that people will have to wonder what is it that you have that they want or need. Listen to the way Blaise Pascal puts it. People almost invariably arrive at their beliefs not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. Let me, let me explain it to you really quick. Pascal says the same thing that Jesus says in Matthew 28. Go and live in such a way that even the people that surround you don't know God and don't want to know about God, live in such a way that they will want to believe in that God. That's a crazy statement. Live in such a way that even if they disagree with us, they would say, man, I wish that was true. Is your life like that? See, if if our lives are not like that, we cannot contribute to the Great Commission. I think I've shared this with you before, but I think I did. But, you know, when I I became a Christian, I did not become a Christian because I, I came into a church first. I did not become a Christian because, uh, you know, I went into an evangelistic rally. I did not become a Christian because I was by myself and God spoke to me and I opened the Bible. I did not become a Christian like that. I don't even remember when I became a Christian. All I remember is that I became a Christian. But this I remember. That I, I saw my mom dropping everything for God. And I remember that this tiny little woman... Because she's like this. <laughs> she, 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 she dropped her career, her profession, and she became a missionary. And she's working for this, um, uh, comp- this missions company, a or missions organization. And she was working in a thrift store after being a professional. And I remember going to visit her. I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, what in the world is this woman doing? This is the kicker, though that she had the joy I did not have, the peace I did not have, and the security that I did not have, even though I had it all. And I remember clearly God saying, look at her life, don't you want that? Live in such a way that God will move in people's hearts. And then in verse 19, and verse 20, it says this, Therefore I make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them, oh, I'm sorry, in verse 20, to obey everything that I have commanded you. This is the interesting, interesting thing for people in, the, in, in this part of the world, that we read this and we think that this is us by ourselves. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna get out and evangelize. I'm gonna share the gospel. I'm gonna live different. It's me, I'm me, myself, and me. But this text comes in a plural form. Actually, later on, we will say that I will be with you. That's a plural form, meaning that it requires a church to do this. That it requires the community of faith to do this. Means that you do your part and I do my part. Meaning that I don't have the ability and you don't have the ability to convert people for Jesus. Meaning that you don't have the power to say, today I'm going to convert you. Means this, that God is the one working in and through every single one of us and that everyone is playing a different role. Some people share something, some people do something else, something, some people are used by God in a different way and God is using these things to fulfill this command of making disciples of all the nations and by and teaching people Everything God has commanded. Notice that this is not about converts only. Come to church. Surrender your life to Jesus. Nothing wrong with that. It's about disciples. Everyone is playing a role in making disciples somehow. Question. How do we know that if we live like this, God is going to use this? How do we know? Well, I'm glad you asked. Question point number three. The assurance of the mission. And this section right here for me is amazing. Like really, it's amazing for me. Starting in verse 18. We know that when we obey and call and go to whatever God is calling us to do. When we go out and when we die to ourselves and then we live in a different way. We know that the Lord is going to use us somehow because of three things. Number one. We have the assurance of his authority. Verse 18, that Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then after that he says, therefore, go. You know what that means? That Jesus is in charge. That Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God as the ultimate authority. That the entire creation commits to him. That everything goes according to his plans. That God in Jesus rules. Why is that important? Listen up, church. Because it tells you that you cannot mess up. You cannot mess God's plans up. Even if you think that you don't, you're not qualified. Even if you think that you just did something really dumb. Even if you don't think that you could, your words were not, didn't make any sense. Look, that's my hope every time I preach. I know that God will use me, and God will use you somehow. That there are no mistakes. Nothing is going to go wrong. You cannot mess God's plans up. You just want to be used. Second assurance. The assurance of his presence. Verse 20. And surely I am with you always. Let me give you an illustration here. You remember the story of Stephen in Acts? Chapter 7, I believe it is. Stephen is being executed for Jesus. He's being stoned to death because he has professed Jesus as a Lord and Savior. And in the midst of this execution, the Bible says that Stephen is looking up to heaven and he sees Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. Listen to this. That image is what gave them the boldness to do what he did. God's presence is the assurance that he is with you as you're doing what God called you to do. It is because of his presence that we can be bold. You have nothing to lose. Jesus already lived, died, and resurrected. And because he's resurrected, you are securing him. And because you are securing him, you have nothing to lose. What can they do to you, kill you? That was Stephen. Nothing to prove, boldness. Not annoying, boldness. And number three, the assurance of victory. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, that verse tells us that the Christian story has a happy ending. The verse tells you that God would accomplish his plans, and at the end of the redemption story, there's a happy ending, meaning that it doesn't matter how things go go here, well or wrong. At the end of the day, Christ will win. So don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Christ will win. He will save people. He will redeem the people that he wants to redeem. Everything we do as Christians, everything we do as Christians, nothing is in vain. At the end of the story, God would accomplish what he wants to accomplish. There's a happy ending. Now, let's just go. Die and live different. I want to show you a video. Just pay attention to this.
1: Early this year, I met up with second-generation Wheaton Bible Church missionaries Mark and Tammy Roosh to hear a little about how their ministry is making an impact on communities throughout the Philippines. I serve as a family counselor, uh, primarily at Faith Academy, which is a school for missionary children. My goal is to come alongside missionaries who maybe have been through a really difficult experience, possibly or are struggling with some issues that have come up for whatever reason yeah. and try and help them work through that here yeah. so that they can continue to work and function well in their ministry, whatever it is that, that God has called them to.
2: Currently I'm the director of SAO Philippines. Basically I'm responsible to lead the, the work of um, that we do here in the Philippines. Our vision is is to see the indigenous people in the Philippines uh, flourish using whatever languages they value most. And so we wanna see everybody have access to God's word. Um, We wanna see children have access to quality education in a language that they speak and understand. And we work closely with the Department of Education and many other partners to to see that happen. So we come alongside language communities um, and offer um, language expertise that can help them in areas like literacy, Bible translation, uh, language development, and anything pretty much language related.
1: The Philippines is home to over 175 languages. SIL International has been active in translating across the region for over 50 years. Someday, uh, everyone in the world will have access to scripture in a language they understand best. It's just really incredible that we get an opportunity to play a part
2: yeah. in making that happen. All over the country from many of the groups that we work with, they're getting involved yeah. and they're going, they're taking it and, and learning how to translate the scriptures and then they're going to neighboring groups mm-hmm. to do translation. Yeah. Yeah. And they're also, um, there are teachers who are training others in yeah. how to teach in the, the mother tongue, in the, in the language that People speak best, and and uh, people Filipinos with heart for those children. So it's it's just neat that we get to be a part of that. Yeah. We get to be um, consultants for that, or providing some training, and just us have a small part in helping to see that happen.
1: There are a lot of people at Wheaton Bible Church who um, love the idea of this work, or or maybe asking the question. Um, how they could be involved, or what God's call on their life may be. What would you say to somebody sitting in the congregation about what God has for them?
2: Mm. Yeah, just, just spend a lot of time in prayer, of course, and, and seek seek the Lord's will, um, be open to whatever He may uh, bring, opportunities that may come their way, uh, your way. Uh, <laughs> it, it may, It may surprise you, it may be something. um, But also, look at the gifts He's given you and the skills that you already have, and those are things that He can use in many places in the world. And there may be more than one way that 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 could happen.
1: God has given every one of us different gifts and abilities, and He's entrusted those gifts and abilities to us. and so how can we prayerfully think through, okay, God, how do you want me to use this for your glory? Yeah. Consider the possibility that God might want you on that team using your gifts and abilities, whatever those happen to be.
0: See, so this group of people heard Matthew 28 and decided to go. Because they trusted what God had said that he would do. Because they trusted that he was going to be with them until the end of the world. Can you trust him like that? Can you trust his promises? Go. Go to whatever the Lord is calling you to do. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you because you are the God of promises. Lord, and we trust you, Lord, because not only you call us to go and to get out of our comfort zone, and not just to be willing to sacrifice things and to behave and live in a different way, but you, you say that if you call us to go, it's because not only all authority belongs to you, And you are with us, but that at the end of the day, you will win. And I pray, Lord, that as a church, whether we are here in this location or we are watching online, Lord, I pray that we all respond to that call. And we ride the wave of what you have been doing and what you are already doing. Please help us trust your promises and respond to it. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says...